everyone, welcome back to the newest episode of After the Siren. I'm your host, Nisha Hapel, and I am really excited to bring you this week's episode. It is truly jam-packed with what is going on in footy at the moment. Not only have we finished off the AFLW season and are kicking off finals footy this weekend, so it seems weird to say finals footy when we're only halfway through March, but it is well and truly kicking into gear. We are also kicking off the AFL men's season tomorrow night so it'll be tonight when you guys are listening to this but I'm obviously recording it on the Tuesday and it'll be a massive clash between the D's and the Dogs grand final rematch we're going to talk everything about that we're going to talk everything that happened throughout the last round of AFLW we've got our top footy moment we've got so much on the cards tonight and I just want to get straight into it if you're new here we always do a top footy moment we love we love to reflect back on the week that was and just see how uh, and why and who and what has happened um, to impress us the most. Again, if you would like to send me your top footy moment, I've been getting a couple through on a, on a weekly basis, so keep sending them through. Um, you can do that to the Instagram direct messages at After the Siren Podcast. But without further ado, my top footy moment is coming from the game where there wasn't a lot on the line. The Giants and the Cats had pretty much... Um, wrapped up their seasons but in the final minutes of the game we love a bit of a final minute goal Cora Staunton worked some of her magic that we have grown so so used to seeing um some Cora Staunton magic picking it up off the ground kicking a late goal you know she she's the oldest player across the AFL and the AFLW and we love to see just women breaking down boundaries and you know, kicking fantastic goals week in, week out. Again, we've got some more records breaking um, as the AFLW seems to provide us with every week. But uh, Jamie Riddell has broken the record for the most disposals in an AFLW game. I feel like I can't do an episode now without talking about Jamie because she's always on the ball, literally and figuratively. And um, she's gotten 42 disposals over the weekend. Now, I just want to remind everyone that AFLW is a much shorter game than AFL. The whole game in itself goes for a little over an hour of of playing time. They're 15 minutes of of time on each quarter um, with the last five minutes having the stop clock. Uh, the clock stopped. Um, the clock's also stopped after goals and whatnot. But in terms of the opportunity to actually get your hands on the ball, you've only got an hour of play to do so. And, you know, for her to gather up 42 disposals, that's almost a disposal a minute. Just wrap your heads around that, everyone. And some more news coming out of the end of the season. We always love to see who finished up with the most disposals, who finished up with the most goals. And the leading goal kicker of 2022 is in fact Ash Woodland, who had a cracker start to the season. She has kicked multiple goals in her first three outings this season, and she managed to hold on to top spot, which I'm really, really pleased to see new names popping up in top spot. Obviously, we've seen Darcy Vessio win the award a couple of times. Interesting to see if it will be called the Darcy Vessio Award when Darcy finishes up. Um, but this year, the honour goes to Ash Woodland, who will continue to add to that tally in the finals, you would assume. Um, again, Adelaide have won the minor premiership for the second year in a row with their win on the weekend, just edging out Melbourne with percentage. So top two teams on the ladder are the Dees and the Crows. And that is pretty much all of the updates that came out of the final round of the AFLW season. And we've got uh, two huge, huge 
um, elimination finals coming up and that will be the Roos hosting the Dockers uh, at Arden Street on Saturday in the early afternoon and then the Dockers will face uh, sorry and then the Lions will face the Pies at the Gabba which will be a massive game that one's actually a double header Um, you'll see the Lions men's team take on Port Adelaide in the evening so fantastic stuff for women's footy fantastic stuff for footy that they're able to play at some of the best venues of Australia Um, and we'd love to see more of that as the years go on obviously more people will will start showing up to games and we'll need to cater for that so to get a game at the Gabba for for the ladies is fantastic Um, now what's not so fantastic is some news for Eloise Jones of the Adelaide Crows um, and she uh, is set to appeal her one-match ban, which would impact the prelim final against the winner of that North versus Freo game. So Eloise Jones has been charged with engaging in rough conduct. She did a dangerous tackle on Tilly Lucas Rod from St Kilda during the fourth quarter of the Round 10 match. And she um, has... Uh, set, yeah, she's set to appeal that and we'll get the um, the results of that appeal soon. Um, but it was a pretty nasty looking tackle. The incident was classified as a one match sanction at the first office. So I'd be really interested to see how they go about that considering finals is on the line. We've seen the, the match review panel not take a backward step with, you know, suspensions around... Um, this time a year, we saw Katie Brennan miss a grand final um, one year because she uh, was suspended. And, you know, you'd think that that might come into consideration when they're going through the match review panel, but that was not the case for Katie. And we'll just have to wait and see how they go about this review with Eloise. Um, Now, some more fantastic news is the 22 under 22 squad was released today which if you're anything like me, you love to see which teams have the best young talent. And in fact, the Lions led the charge with five Lion Cubs named in the 22 under 22 squad. If you have a look at it, you've got some really, really big names. Um, you know, Matty Press-Barkas, people that you'd expect to see there, Courtney Hodder. You've got a lot of new names though, which is fantastic. You've got you know, Charlie Rowbottom, Tamreen Watson from Gold Coast. In fact, four Gold Coast Suns players in there. You've got Monique Conti. It'll be her last season as a part of that side. But, you know, some really good names. You've got Tia Charlton from Adelaide, which is a really fantastic one. I, I kind of picked her at the start of the year as a breakout player. If you don't believe me, you can definitely go and read my article of who's going to be a breakout player for the AFLW because I definitely have that one down in writing. And there she is in the 22 under 22. So I pat myself on the back for that prediction. Um, got Elise Parker of the GWS Giants. Um, she's the only one there representing GWS, um, but rightly so. She's not only one of the best players under the age of 22, but she just dominates competition-wide in her games. Um, but as I said, it was Brisbane taking out the most spots in the squad of 40 um, with Nat Grider, Courtney Hodder, Jade Ellinger, Jesse Wardlaw and Tali Hickey all finding their own spot. 
Another interesting one is Mimi Hill from Carlton. Obviously, we saw her return only in round five, I believe it was. So she did miss the first four rounds um, as she was coming off the ACL injury that she sustained last year. And boy, did she absolutely light the whole competition up when she stepped out there. So rightly so, she's got a spot in the AFLW 22 under 22 40 squad. Um, I mentioned Maddie Presbarkus earlier, but we've also got uh, Georgie Presbarkus in the in the squad, which, you know, it's interesting to see the young sisters are clearly getting some recognition for their talent. So fantastic stuff. I won't read them all out, but um, I'll go into it in a little more depth when the final 22 is announced. But I'm definitely excited for the talent when it's listed out like that in front of you. It's definitely impressive to see that, you know, there's just so much potential and growth. And we talk about it every year that the skills improve and that improves and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, when you see young talent like that, you just know that there's going to be improvements made in leaps and bounds in the near future. You know, we talk about players that have come up through grassroots football. We're going to see more and more girls available that have had, you know, proper training through through pathways and and that's really the way to grow the game and get more people involved in playing and viewing the sport. Um, in terms of the growth of AFLW, we've obviously got the four new teams that are joining the competition and I've recently announced that Hawthorne and Essendon have signed their first player and we can now add Sydney to that group who has signed its inaugural AFLW player ahead of their first season. So the Sydney Academy product Ruby Sargent Wilson makes history as the first women's player for the club after a call from the head co- head coach Scott Gowans last week to share the good news. She said, it's an honour to be part of the inaugural team. It's hard to put into words. I know how much this means to the Swans and the effort that they've put in to get into the competition. It fills me with so much pride. It takes a lot to pull on that Guernsey. It represents more than running out to play with the team. I'm so excited for my journey ahead. And I think that she summed it up perfectly there to not only be the first signing at the Swans for the AFLW club, but then to acknowledge the importance and pride that Sydney's history has, obviously dating all the way back to South Melbourne. And this is just another fantastic step in their history. So really, really good stuff for Ruby and for the Swans. I can't wait to see how the lists develop and how they're pulled together. Obviously lots of opportunity for you know, all of the girls um, in those states of South Australia and in New South Wales, we've got definitely, you know, double the spots available on AFL lists now. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how the existing teams cope with the expansion. Obviously, two new Victorian teams uh, at Port Adelaide and Sydney joining the competition next year. Now, Um, there's a lot more to cover. Um, I'm just going to take a little break and we'll be right back to talk about AFL's opening round. I'm so keen for this one. So AFL round one is kicking off on Wednesday night tonight. If you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday, obviously, uh, with the dogs taking on the D's, it'll be the grand final rematch. And I do want to talk a little bit about this. I want to talk about 
you know, traditionally it has been Carlton and Richmond opening the season, um, but we'll leave that conversation to the end because I've got a few thoughts on it um, and, you know, maybe a few controversial thoughts. Maybe I'm a little bit biased on this one, but you guys can write to me and let me know your thoughts because um, definitely something that I feel pretty strongly about. Um, but some good news first. We've had little bits of dribs and drabs of who's going to be playing. Um, we heard that uh, Lockie Hunter wasn't going to be in the side and then the sides come out and now he is going to be in the side. So really um, interesting news reporting from um, um, from some of the, the club medias there. But um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the rest of the teams come out in the lead up to round one. Um, but the news that did come out was um, Michael Voss confirmed on AFL 360. He said that Sam Doherty is going to play his first game back following his cancer treatment obviously Sam was very public and shared his journey um, with his cancer and he underwent chemotherapy at the end of last year um, chopped off the last few games of the season um, we also had the very public do it for doc campaign that the all the Carlton boys got around they all shaved their heads um, raised an exorbitant amount of money for um, the Peter Mac Foundation so you know you'll love a bit of good news at the start of the season and it's uh, really heartwarming stuff Vossi spoke really proud the way he said you know it wouldn't be right he, he's worked really hard and just the way he shared the story that um he said that one of the first things he did when he was appointed as coach was to to go and see Sam at home and um, he was going through his treatment at that time. He, he'd lost a lot of weight. Um, he, he was very underdone. And it's, it seems like in such a short time, he's come on in leaps and bounds. He sat down at, at Icon Park with Vossi, you know, the end of the year last year and said, you know, Vossi asked him what he what he wanted to achieve, what his goals were, and, and and Doc said he wanted to play round one. And it's just a, and I know this has been said. It, it is a testament to the the attitude and the and the type of player that he is, um, you know, and and no doubt why he was captain for the last few seasons alongside Patrick Cripps. Obviously, Cripps is going to take the reins solo this year. Um, but fantastic news for Blues fans. That one was really. Heartwarming brought a bit of a smile to my face, just gave myself a little pump up, a little self five when I heard that news. Now, good news keeps rolling in. Um, I guess it is good news depending on how you look at it, but Paddy McCartan will debut for Sydney. That has been confirmed by coach John Longmire on Tuesday. Um, he said that the number one draft pick from 2014 would run out with the club on Saturday's uh, derby with Greater Western Sydney. Um, as he joined the Swans as a pre-season supplemental rookie. Um, now, this one's a little bit sweet, a little bit sour. We know that Paddy McCartan was a number one pick uh, in 2014. He went to the Saints and the career kind of went downhill from there. But but it wasn't for lack of talent. We know that. He's always talented. Most of the number one draft picks definitely have a a resume that, that proves that you know it was the right decision at the time um, but he's obviously had the very well talked about history with concussion and we've seen a lot of players have to leave the game in recent years you had Daniel Venables 
wrap up you've had uh, Paul Seedsman wrap up you've had you know Liam Pickens been very public with with his issues that have come from concussion and I think people assumed the same from Paddy McCartan they knew he was playing VFL footy but um, to come back and play senior footy is a whole different ballpark and it's definitely you know in the back of my mind that it's it could be a concern it could be something that maybe isn't the best move from a medical perspective, who am I to to throw that out there? I'm not a doctor. I don't know Patty. I've never gone in depth about about what's actually happened and, and the long term effects of concussion. But I do know um, from the examples I just listed that it can be a concern. Either way, I really do wish Paddy McCartan and Sydney the best. He's in in good company. Um, if Buddy if Buddy plays, um, you know, looking for that thousandth goal. Although I'm hoping he holds off until round two because I'll be at the game uh, in Sydney. But you know, a, a very fitting debut for Paddy McCartan, who we really want to reset his career. Um, he'll really be looking for uphill movements and progress from this point onwards. Obviously, eight years into uh, an AFL career or eight years since he was selected as the number one draft pick. And hopefully he has finally found a home. Also playing alongside his brother, Tom, uh, it'll be really good night for the McCartan family and hopefully for the Bloods as well. And we've got some not so good news coming out of West Coast. Um, I know if you're anywhere in the AFL, it's very public that uh, West Coast have a very extensive injury list at the moment. I'll read a few of them out. You've got Jack Darling out with a foot injury, Luke Chewy out with a hamstring, Liam Duggan out with a knee, Oscar Allen out with a foot, Dom Sheed with an ankle, Yo with a calf, Tom Cole with an ankle, Jamie Cripps with a pec injury, Sam Petrovsky seaton with a knee, obviously the new draftee from, uh, new pickup from Carlton, um, Campbell Chester with an ankle, Greg Clark with a shoulder, Tom Joyce with an ankle, and Tim Kelly, and also Nick Nat has been added to that list with COVID health protocols. Now it's been confirmed that Nick Nat hasn't actually tested positive, um, but he did need to take some time away from the club due to being a close contact. Now that is a really, really really extensive list going into round one obviously you you aim to have your team as fit and firing as possible but in this instance it's not the case for the Eagles we've seen really really good teams be struck down because of an injury list like this and you know I, I did watch that 360 episode last night it's obviously uh very apparent um because I've referenced it a couple of times but um you know, the, the coaches in um, Michael Voss and Simon Goodwin that were on the panel, um, they, they did say they weren't envious, but also every club's had to face their own challenges in the past few years, dealing with um, COVID issues and isolations and hubs and, you know, rescheduling of matches at the last minute. Um, so this is just going to be another challenge that the Eagles have to face. Is it a fair p- playing field? You know, some would argue no. Um, because you're entering the competition West Coast and Western Australia, obviously in a really difficult place right now um, in terms of their COVID situation. Uh, Victoria seems to be coming out of the other side. I say that, but um, unfortunately my sister's got COVID at the moment. So it's still very alive and thriving in in Victoria. So um, no doubt health protocols will come into play in the AFL season for all clubs, for all clubs, no doubt. But it just seems to have hit West Coast first. Um, 
And, you know, everyone's had a full preseason. Everyone's had the time to try and get their list fit. And, you know, it just seemed that each training session going into to practice matches, West Coast has had one, two, three blokes go down with an injury of sorts. So it'll be interesting to see the lineup when it does come out for West Coast. Um, you know, they do... You know, people are predicting them to finish lower than they did last year, a team that's possibly on the downhill, on the downfall. And when you look at an injury like injury list like this, you can see why people would assume that. Now, I mentioned earlier I wanted to have a little self-debate with my own self. I've had this debate with Jarvis earlier in the day, so I've got two fresh perspectives, so I can't be all that biased, but um, I still will be a little bit. Who should play the first match or the opening match of round one of the season? Should it be the traditional rivals in Carlton and Richmond, Richmond Carlton, depending on the year? Or should it be the reigning premiers against their opponents in a grand final rematch? Obviously, this year we're seeing the D's and Dogs on Wednesday night. And then Carlton and Richmond will still play be played on their Thursday night, which they have done for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, there, there are pros and cons to each side. And, you know, I say this from an AFL fan perspective, a Carlton perspective, but also like a business, a business perspective. You know, people want to open the season at the MCG. So in the case that an interstate club wins, they can't unfurl their flag in round one. Or in the chance that it is a match between two interstate teams, they wouldn't be playing that at the MCG at the home of AFL, which, you know, is the traditional place to to open it up. In this year's instance, it's worked out pretty pretty well. You've got two Victorian teams, you're gonna have a really healthy crowd because obviously these team these this state has been starved of football over the past you know, <laughs> multiple years, past two years, and the the D's fans, the Dogs fans missed out on their grand final success and glory last year. Um, so they'll all be packing into the G, myself included, to see the flag be unfurled and to see the grand final rematch. People are predicting the D's will um, take the cake, but I reckon the Dogs are going to put up a pretty bloody good fight. You wouldn't want to, you know, build yourself up all preseason just to go down to the team that... Um, that took it away from you at the end of the last season. So I think this year it's the right move by the AFL because, you know, you've had two big clubs that have been starved of actually being at the football live in, in you know, arguably the one of the greatest football moments in the modern era when Melbourne broke their 57-year-long premiership drought. Um, you know, you've got some of the best players in the competition. You've got, you've got players that are arguably fighting for Brownlow medals, you got two best midfielders in the competition in Clayton Oliver and Marcus Bondapelli going face-to-face. So this contest is undoubtedly the one to go first for the season, in my mind. But what then happens to every other year if it's not the dream matchup and it's not, you know, it could potentially be like a GWS Fremantle situation. What do we do then? Do we say, oh, no, it's only a grand final rematch when it suits us as Victorians? Because as a business move, you want it at the G with the highest audience capacity. You want to get 80, 85,000 into the game, into the ground. And that's hard to do with teams from different states. Um, so 
putting that out there. Now being a little bit selfish and coming back to a Carlton perspective, you know, obviously throughout the year you see multiple marquee matches get played. You've got Anzac Day Clash, you've got Queen's Birthday, you've got Dreamtime. And these are all played between Victorian clubs at the moment. Um, and Richmond Carlton was obviously one of the marquee matches. Um, they always played opening round. Now we know that Richmond also play in the Dreamtime match. We know that they verse Essendon and then Essendon play Collingwood in the Anzac Day match. And then Collingwood play Melbourne in the... Uh, Queen's Birthday Clash. So those teams have got multiple marquee matches. Whereas if you're taking opening round away from Carlton, I know this is coming across very biased right now, but stick with me. You've got one of the biggest supporter-based clubs, one of the oldest clubs with the richest history, one of the richest rivalries in Richmond and Carlton, not as a marquee match. Do I think this is going to actually affect the turnout? Probably not. I think you're going to get just as many people. But, you know, I think the AFL have either got to say we're consistently going to do a grand final rematch as the first match of the season or we're not. And it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Um, I can see why it would go either way, um, but I can also see it being pretty unsuccessful and very dependent on which sides actually play off in the grand final as to whether that's the right move to make. Um, definitely think that it's one to go into the books and, and see if it works out. I have a feeling it'll work out fantastically this year, um, but it will just depend on who's there. You know, if it's going to be Port Adelaide, they, they're making a very big push. You've got Brisbane definitely making a really big push. You know, people are throwing, obviously, the Ds and the Dogs into the mix again. Um, but there are definitely teams that could push and I feel like it's going to be some fresh faces in the grand final this year um, with possibly the Lions, possibly Port Adelaide. Um, you'd think this would be Geelong's last year to really have a good crack at it. Um, yeah, so definitely one to to think about and if you've got any thoughts on that, if you think I'm being biased and, and a bit selfish in saying that I do think you know Carlton deserve to have a marquee match where where fans are really dragged along to the game. Um, you know, should we create another marquee match for the sake of it and, and build a history around it, especially for some of these newer teams that don't get to be involved in in huge matches? You hear about players that come across from Gold Coast to a, a club like, you know, Melbourne or, or, or Essendon or Collingwood that then go, oh, geez, is this what it's like to play at the MCG in front of, you know, 80-odd thousand? And it's it's not something that happens every week. Sometimes you only get 30,000, 40,000 piling into a venue. Um, and it's definitely different. Uh, and it can be interesting when those players from those teams get to grand finals and it's a very overwhelming feeling being in, in an MCG that is full of 100,000 people. I know because I've, I've been there and it's something that, you know, definitely distracts from from what you're going out there to do with that all said and done um i'm about done chatting your ear off about footy for the night i know there's going to be so much more coming your way after the big week of footy we've got to come believe it or not we've got 11 matches to be played across the week starting on wednesday night you've got wednesday night thursday night friday night saturday is packed with the two aflw finals thrown in there and then we keep going all the way through till Sunday. And I am so excited. I'm going to be living at the MCG at Marvel Stadium next week and then up in Sydney. So 
you can bet on the fact that I'll be glued to the footy from wherever I am, excluding the four hours I'm at work on Saturday. Um, but it was a fantastic AFLW season. I've loved just witnessing the growth and, and the skill improvement from the girls. Uh, I'm so excited to see what the men can bring this season with, um, you know, hopefully a less COVID-affected season. Um, but yeah, that is me for tonight. And I really, really appreciate everyone that's tuning in. I'm feeling like we've got a great season ahead um, of, of chats and and everything. So definitely tune into the socials. We've got my Twitter account, which is growing slowly, believe it or not. It's uh, at Nisha Hapel. You've got the podcast Twitter account, which is at after the siren underscore the instagram is at after the siren podcast and the tiktok is at after the siren pod i am really going to put my foot down and try and make some more content but believe me when i say i am very 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 busy at the moment trying to do as much as i can in preparation for round one um and that is about it from me so thank you so much guys i really appreciate everyone that tunes in every week um we're really getting close to the thousand downloads now i think i said that a few weeks ago so a bit embarrassing i kind of ran the race a little bit early there but um keep listening share with your friends if you can like on spotify like on um apple Podcasts, leave reviews all of that love you all talk next week